we have a crisis in the world, tremendous crisis, and also crisis in our consciousness, in us. I see the urgency of change, radical revolution, mutation in the mind. I see it. It is necessary. There is complete quietness of the mind, and that which is silent has vast space. Only then that which is nameless comes into being. This is Urgency of Change, the Krishnamurti podcast. The easiest thing for the mind, which is generally very lazy, is to follow what somebody else has said. Hello and welcome to episode 212 of Urgency of Change. Each episode of the Krishnamurti podcast features carefully selected clips from the archives. The aim is to represent different aspects of Krishnamurti's radical approach to many of the issues and questions we all face in our lives. This week's theme is following. Upcoming themes are thinking together, the unconscious, and rationality. This is a podcast from Krishnamurti Foundation Trust. Please visit the official YouTube channel for hundreds of full-length video and audio recordings of Krishnamurti's talks and discussions. In addition, the Foundation's own channel features a large collection of specially selected clips. You can also find our regular quotes and videos on Instagram, TikTok and Facebook at Krishnamurti Foundation Trust. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave a review or rating on your podcast app, which helps our visibility. This week's episode on following has two sections. This first extract is from the first question-answer meeting at Brockwood Park in 1981, titled, Why Do We Follow? What is it in the human mind that wants to follow a leader, a guru, a system, a belief, and be obedient to something? Otherwise you won't be here. Nor I. The question is asking, why is it that human beings, from time immemorial, from the most ancient Hindus, and the Egyptians, and the after the afterwards other civilizations, why, through all these periods of time, why has man followed somebody, a political leader, a general, a high priest, a psychologist, a philosopher? Why? What is it in the mind of the human being that says, he knows I don't? Because he knows he will help me to live a different kind of life, help me to get over my pain, my sorrow, my anxiety, and so on, so on. So, I be one being confused, the other is not, at least it, I think he's not. Most gurus are, but we attribute to them all kinds of fanciful, romantic nonsense. So, there is this first point. I don't know, but you know. At least I think you know. You have the reputation. There are lots of other idiots like me following. 
And the greater the following, the more I feel it's accurate, because so many people believe in that kind of stuff, and I follow. That's one thing. Also, the leader, political, religious, as the gurus, and so on, they have assumed certain authority, whether it's logical, reasonable, sane, or illusory, they have assumed certain authority. They have received from the guru, superior guru, the rest of it, apostolic succession, and also the similar thing in Sanskrit in India. This is an old game played by all the priests in the world, the leaders. So that is the question. The question is, why human beings follow another? Let's inquire into it. Is it because we are not clear? We are confused. And I am confused. Suppose I am confused and I choose you as my leader. I choose out of my confusion, not out of my clarity. Please see the sanity of it first, the logic of it, and then you can throw it out if you disagree. I am confused. My brain is in state of contradiction. I am frightened. I have no psychological security. I come to you because you have you have certain authority, certain dress, certain uh, paraphernalia around you, and I come. I'm impressed by the dress, by the people, by the you know whole setup, and. You assure me that surrender yourself to me and I will save you. Right? Give yourself over to me, because I know you don't, so I'll help you. And I'm only too willing and gullible. Because I want to be, I want comfort. I want some security. I want some hope somewhere on whom I can depend, in whom I have trust, in whom I know, or perhaps I think I know, that He will guide me, help me, and if He is only too willing to help. It begins very gently, there is the inner circle, the outer circle and the outer and outer circles, and gradually that help becomes dependence. And I depend on my guru, on my priest, on my leader, the political leader, of all the various countries. I don't know why we are slaves to the politicians all over the world. I don't know if you have been inquired into it. We have elected them, or they have assumed power in the totalitarian states, and they put their thumb on you, and for the rest of your life you are stuck. Or in the democratic world, it's every five years or seven years, you change, but it is the same. You elect them out of your confusion, and there they are. They are confused. They, the game is played. Every seven years or five years, this goes on. And it happens the same thing with the gurus. 
I don't like that guru, but I like the other one. He's more indulgent. He allows me to do what I like. <laughs> you know, many, many gurus have come to see the speaker at many times. The funniest one of them was <laughs> he had been in that particular country for twenty for many years, and he came to see me with all the robes and beads and you know the rest. Of it. And he said, <laughs> he saluted me most respectfully because he assumed I was the guru of gurus. <laughs> and he said, Sir, I have been in this country for many years. I have talked all over the different parts of this country. I have a large number of followers. But I have run out of ideas. So I've come to you, and so please give me some ideas. <laughs> I'm not, we're not joking, but this was an actual fact. You see, when we have really understood why we follow, why a guru assumes, assumes authority, why he demands so many things, or allows me, allows another follower to throw off his inhibitions, doing what they like, sex, you know, the whole performance, ugliness of all that, I naturally feel that there is somebody whom will help me. So why do I ask help of another? That's the real point. Apart from joking about all this, this is a very serious problem. Because they are multiplying these gurus with enormous work. Think of a religious man having enormous wealth and property, millions and millions of dollars, thousands of acres, hundreds and thousands of followers. What is wrong to allow such a thing to happen in a world that is already so utterly destructive? so degenerating, to allow the so-called religious people, who are really not religious, to acquire such wealth, such power. And they, because they have enormous amount of money, they bribe, you follow? They slip through all the regulations and rules. So. Why do we allow all this? Why do we allow terrorism, for example, which is spreading? And is it because we are slack, indulgent, what does it matter? indifference, or do we really 
want to find somebody to help you. Some honest man, not a guru. They merely repeat over and over again. You have seen all this. Look, says, I am not attacking anybody personally. I hope, please, I wouldn't do that. But I have, during all these over 60 years, I have watched this. One cult after another, one guru after another. More and more wealth accumulated. Private planes, private. Oh, and they're all religious people. So the world has gone mad, and we are helping these people to go still madder. So we come back to this question, why do I want help from another? If I am physically sick, I go to a doctor. If I have cancer, I consult specialists, he puts me on a table or kills me or the end of it. <laughs> but psychologically, we are also diseased. Psychologically, inwardly, we are wounded people. And we hope others will cure us. You know? And this has been the story of mankind. From the ancient civilizations, from the Simurians and so on, till now, we are still doing the same. We are psychologically unhealthy. And we are depending on another to cure us. And we have not been cured. That's the first thing to realize. You can go from guru to guru to guru, as most as so many are doing, so thoughtlessly. And we are still unhealthy psychologically, the end of it. So if we realise, first be aware that we are inwardly unhealthy. I am using the, that word in most without any further meaning than that. Wounded people, disappointed people, lonely people, full of pain, anxiety, sorrow. That's all indication of unhealth, un lack of health. Now, can anybody cure you of it? You understand? Historically, from the very ancient times, man has always looked to somebody else. And up to now, they are still doing the same, which all indicates that nobody outside can cure you. Nobody. Your saviors, the Buddhists with their Buddha, and the Hindus with their and so on. None of them have succeeded and will ever succeed in bringing about psychological sanity, rationality. So that if I realize that, right, logically sane, if you observe all this, then what am I to do? That's the real question. 
What am I to do when I have discovered that nobody can help me? Prayers, meditation, wait a minute, I must be careful here. Meditation is very important in life. But that meditation must come after putting the house in order. Your house inside. Otherwise, it merely becomes an illusion, leads to illusion of fanciful images and all kinds of silly experiences that have no value at all. Meditation has got immense significance. If the, when the house is in complete order. But we have turned it the other way round. We meditate, hoping to put the house in order. Or meditate, hoping some kind of miracle will take place that will put the house in order, my order, the house being myself, oneself. The other way around, you follow? That's what we there are the medit I won't go into it. The, I, the speaker generally talks about meditation at the end of the talks. He has done this purposely. Because all that he has said previously is to bring about order in the house. A man who is frightened is pursuing pleasure. He can meditate till he is blue in the face, stand on his head, cross-legged, uh, do all kinds of things that have been prescribed by the innumerable gurus. He'll still be what he is. Perhaps little modified, but basically he's still frightened entity. So we are saying, begin the other way around. Then meditation is a marvelous thing, which we'll talk about next Sunday. That's not an enticement. <laughs> If I cannot depend on anybody to heal my wounds, my state of psychological health, I have to look to myself. I cannot depend on anybody. Right? When I say that, am I frightened? Please inquire with me into this question. When I say to myself, I must stand alone. <coughs> Nobody can help me. Because I have realized, have been through various gurus, studied, prayed, meditated. At the end of it all, I am what I have been when I started. So, logically, sanely, I observe that nobody can help me. It is not that I become cynical. It's a fact. And am I willing to stand alone? I need companionship, I need to talk to somebody. Hmm? But they are not going to become my gurus. They will be my friends, but I will talk about it. But I realise deeply I cannot depend. I depend on the postman, the milkman, the, and so on. But inwardly I am, there is no dependence. 
because I realize also that attachment, which is to give oneself over to the Guru, that very attachment leads to corruption. Right? I don't know if you have noticed this. Any form of attachment to any person, to any belief, to any ideas, to any country and so on, must inevitably breed corruption. So I realise all that. So what am I to do? Can I be a light to myself? I am not a light to myself now. I am a confused entity. Which are talking to that personally I'm not, I'm we're talking about it together. I'm confused entity. And you tell me be a light to yourself. I understand that very well, log- logically, intellectually, but I am not light to myself because I'm terribly confused, deeply wounded, unhealthy psychologically. I'm Unbalanced, neurotic, romantic, sentimental. So I take all that in. I am all that. So what am I to do? To study myself, I must have a book about myself. And you are willing to give me that book. And I refuse that book, because you, what you write is myself. You are writing out of your confusion, like most say, psychiatrists. Sorry, I hope they don't tell you. So, I have to have a mirror in which I can see myself. I hope you are following all this. I'm, we are talking together, it's a, we are investigating the question. I have to have a mirror in which I can see exactly what is going on. And no hardware store is going to supply that mirror. No shop, no good. You follow? I have pushed aside all that. So I must have a mirror in which I see myself accurately, without any distortion. What is that mirror? We are inquiring, please, I am not telling you. We are inquiring. That mirror is the relation, relationship. Relationship with my neighbour or with my wife. That's the only relationship I have. In that relationship, which is the mirror, I see myself as I am, jealous, anxious, frightened, possessive, (coughs) attached, hurt, anxious. The more I am anxious, the more I am attached. My family becomes all important. So in that whole relationship I begin to see myself accurately as I am. My sexual demands, my arrogance, my vanity, the ugliness of what I am, or Assume that I am extraordinarily beautiful, but the mirror shows me I am not. 
So, what is shown in the mirror is far more important than what I should be. I want you to follow all this. The mirror doesn't show me what I should be. That's the beauty of that mirror. That mirror shows me exactly what I am. I may turn away from it. I may escape from it, which we generally do. But if I want to, if I say to myself, nobody can help me, then I am looking at that mirror. And that mirror is showing what what is, not what should be. And perhaps I don't like what what is. And the psychologists and others say, express yourself as you are, immediately. And and again I depend. So I'm all the time aware that people are trying to brainwash me according to their own pattern, and I refuse. And I begin then to have a great deal of vitality, naturally. You I hope this is clear, is it? I see what is, not what should be, which is the future. I see exactly the present, the present of what I am in that mirror of relationship. That what I see is me. I am not different from what I have, what is shown there. I don't know if you follow all this carefully. Dear, that which is seen is me. I am not different from that. That that is clear, obviously. But my thought says no. I am different from that. I won't accept that. That the that thought says I am different. So I must control it. I must shape it. So the battle begins. You understand? I hope you're following on. The battle begins, the struggle, the conflict, the, all the travail that goes on, when I refuse to acknowledge actually what is shown in the mirror. What is shown in the mirror is me. I am not different from that. That's a tremendous realization. Because thought is always saying you are different. You know more. And so on. So there is a division between that which is seen in the mirror and that which thought has accumulated in the past, which is the observer. The witness, the seer. You follow? I hope you're following, right? Am I making this complicated? Oh, thank God. So, one of our difficulties is then the observer says, I am different from that which is observed. Because traditionally, through millennia have been educated in the separative action. That would what is is different from me. You understand? 
That is, to make it very simple, look at it. When there is anger, there is only that state. Later on, that reaction, later on I say, I have been angry. I shouldn't be angry. Or I rationalise why I'm angry. Which is, I am different from anger. The moment I said, I have been angry, I am different from anger. I don't know if you see this. But when you realise that which is shown in the mirror of relationship is what is, and what is you, you are, the division entirely comes to an end. <coughs> and therefore conflict comes to an end. Do you are we follow? We are eliminating altogether conflict. Because it's conflict that wastes away our energy. The the intellectual, the emotional, the the energy that is needed to remain with what is. You know, because we are refusing to stay with what is. We are moving away from it all the time, verbally saying, that's anger, that's greed, that's violence. These are all verbal descriptions of what is. The word is not that. I wonder if you follow this, right? The tent, the word tent is not the actuality. <coughs> so I, so can I, can I remain absolutely with what is without the division of I should be or I am different from what is what is is me the observer, and the observed is me. So there is no division, therefore, total end of conflict. Because I remain with what is, I refuse to move out of that state. So I am looking at that state, I am observing it, I am looking, looking, looking. That needs attention. Attention means energy, which I have been wasting by separating myself from that and fighting over it. You understand what? <coughs> Are we wasting our energy now? I'm sure. No, don't. <laughs> so I realize we realize together now that we are not dependent on anybody. That means no saviours, no symbols, nothing. I am only dealing, we are dealing with only what is, which is my whole wounded psyche. That wounded psyche cannot be helped by or cured by another. When I realize that most in my depth of my being, then mirror becomes all important. Relationship. Then relationship has an extraordinary vitality. If you penetrate into all that, then you become entirely a light to yourself. When there is a light to yourself, experiences are not necessary. It's only those who are asleep experiences necessary. 
But if you depend on experiences to wake you up, you are still asleep. I wonder if you see all this. So we can go on talking like this endlessly. My speaker has been doing it for sixty over sixty years. But words have very little meaning. It's only when we realise the truth of all this has got tremendous vitality. I do not know if you have not noticed. As we grow older, we are losing our capacity to think clearly. If we ever thought clearly, even in childhood. As we grow older, our brain not only is not receiving enough blood, because the arteries are beginning to thicken. <laughs> too much drink, too much everything. Not enough exercise, proper exercise. Not go please don't go off into yoga and all kinds of stuff. So our brain is gradually deteriorating. Senility may begin at the age of thirty. When we are constantly repeating, I'm a Christian, I'm a Hindu, I'm Democrat, I'm a socialist, I'm this, I believe in God, I follow that man, you follow? That's all indications of senility. <laughs> Please don't laugh it away. But it's a fact. When we are caught in a routine, Psychologically, think of a man spending, or a woman, for for 50 years, every morning going to the office. Think it out. So, at the end of the question, and after investigating the whole psychological structure of obedience to often to obeying another. If you realize that you can you have put aside all that. Any intelligent man does it. Then only you become a light to yourself. And perhaps in that light, various other things can take place. The second and final extract in this episode is from Krishnamurti's second talk in Sanan, 1970, titled Following means we are second-hand human beings. You know, first of all, freedom implies the total abnegation, denial, negation of all authority. One has to understand this very, very carefully. Because the younger generation thinks freedom is to spit on the face of the policeman. To do whatever they want. The denial of outward authority does not necessarily mean the complete freedom from all inward authority. (coughs) And when we understand the inward authority and a mind and a heart that is wholly, completely, integrally free from authority, then we'll 
will be able to understand the action of freedom outwardly. The outward freedom of action depends entirely and wholly on the mind that is free from authority inwardly. And this is this requires a great deal of patience and inquiry and deliberation to find out what it means to be free from inward authority. And if you don't mind, that's what we are going to discuss this morning. Because I feel that is the primary importance. And then when we discuss various other things which are involved with regard to life, the daily living, then we will approach them with quite a different quality of mind. So if you don't mind, we will go together, share together, work together to find out what it means to be free from all inward authority. Is that all right? The word authority according to the meaning of the dictionary, is the one who starts an original idea, the author of something, the author of an idea of something entirely new. Then he sets a pattern, a mold, a system or an ideal, an ideation. And the rest, seek finding some gratification in it or in them, follows it. So there is that way authority set up. First, the original human being who has discovered something new, something original. Perhaps he puts into words or into a picture or into a poem or a religious life. That becomes the pattern, the mold, the system which others follow. Whether it be Lenin, Mao, or others politically and economically, or religiously, then the rest blindly or cleverly, intellectually follow. Please, if I may suggest, do observe this in your own life, because that's what we are doing. You're not merely listening to a series of talks or discussions, or explanations of certain facts, but you are actually, by listening to the speaker, listening to yourself, observing yourself. Otherwise, what is said has no value whatsoever. Right? So we 
There are patterns of ways of life, of conduct, politically or psychologically, outwardly or inwardly. And the easiest thing for the mind, which is generally very lazy, indolent, is to follow what somebody else has said. The follower then, accepting authority as a means to what he wants to achieve or what is promised through that particular system of philosophy or ideation or a particular system of thought, follows it, clings to it, depends on it, and thereby makes it into authority. Right? You are following all this? You are merely a follower there, a second-hand human being, and most people are completely second-hand. They may think they have some original idea in, with regard to painting, writing poems, but essentially because they are conditioned to follow, to imitate, to conform, become a second-hand, absurd human being. That's one quality of destructive nature of authority. Now, do we listening, do we belong to that kind of category? Do you? Don't answer me, please. Find out. Following somebody or some belief or some instruction according to some book or to a person who promises a reward. An enlightenment. A thing to be achieved at the end through a particular means, and the means <coughs> and the giver of that means become the authority. As human beings, <coughs> do we do this? Do you do this? Follow somebody. Psychologically, we are talking not the outward following, the outward obedience of following a law or denying a law and so on. We are not discussing that. But inwardly, psychologically, do, do you as a human being Follow. If you do, then you are essentially a second hand, a worthless human being. You may do good works, you may have a very good life, you have a lovely house and all the rest of it. But it has very little meaning. Then <coughs> there is another kind of authority, the authority of tradition. The meaning of that word tradition means to hand over from the past to the present 
the Christian tradition, the Catholic tradition, the family tradition, the racial tradition, and the tradition also implies not only that which has been handed down, but also the tradition of memory. You understand? This becomes much more difficult. I hope you are going along together in this. Away. Yes. Because if you follow tradition, one can see. At certain levels it has value, at other levels it has no value at all. Good manners, politeness, consideration, thoughtfulness, the alertness of the mind that is watching, which can gradually become a tradition. And the pattern having been set, the mind then just repeats it, gets up, opens the door, is punctual for meals, polite and all the rest, but it has become a tradition. It is not, it is not born out of consideration, alertness, sharpness, clearness. Then there is the tradition of a mind that has cultivated memory and functions like a computer. Every action, every repeat, repeating over and over and over again, so that it can never receive anything new. It can never listen to anything totally different. As we said the other day, our brains are like the tape records. A certain memories have been cultivated through centuries, and we repeat that over and over and over again. Through the noise of that repetition, we try to listen to something new. And us, we don't listen at all. Then we say, what am I to do? How am I to get rid of the old machinery, the old tape, and listen to the new tape? The new thing can be heard only when the old tape is silent. And the old tape becomes completely silent without any effort. If you are serious to find, to listen, to find out, give your attention. So then there is the authority of another and the dependence of another on another. There is the authority of tradition. There is the authority of the past as memory, as experience, as knowledge. And there is the authority of an experience which is the immediate. Are you following? 
you have had an experience and that becomes the authority and that experience is based on your past accumulated knowledge otherwise if you don't recognize that as experience as something new it is not an experience are you following all this am i talking too much and too fast you're following all this which is following yourself not me not the speaker right so there are these four these various categories of authority and how can a mind a brain which is so conditioned by authority imitation conformity adjustment how can such a mind and a heart listen to anything completely new how can it listen to the beauty of a day and the mind and the heart and the brain are clouded by the past as the authority so if you see that not verbally not intellectual but actually perceive the fact the actual what is that is a mind that is burdened by the past conditioned by various forms of authority is not free and therefore cannot see completely if you actually see that then the past is set aside without effort right so freedom implies the complete cessation of all authority inwardly and from that quality of mind that is free an outward freedom comes uh, takes place which is entirely different from the reaction of an opposing or resisting factor are you following all this are you also working as hard as the speaker or you merely just listening uh, hearing what we are saying is really quite simple and it is because of its very simplicity you will miss it our minds our brains are conditioned through the authority through imitation and conformity that's a fact and therefore freedom cannot exist with such a mind you can talk endlessly about freedom and revolt against certain outward forms of restriction but it's not a free mind the mind that is actually free has no inward authority whatsoever and we have explained very carefully what authority means have you as a human being any form of authority on which you depend and if you do freedom you cannot have freedom 
and it's only the free mind that knows what it means to love and meditate.